episode of Getting Close with Mike Marbeck. Uh, yeah, that's the name that I chose for now. Uh, for anybody that follows me on Twitter, most likely nobody, uh, you will know that there was some debates on Twitter. Uh, well, not uh, some debate. There was one debate, and I was the debater uh, as to what this podcast would be called. Uh, I settled on Getting Close. Uh, because that's what I'll be doing in this interview, uh, in this podcast. I'll be getting close with the interviewee, uh, both in proximity and in uh, life. Uh, we will forge a bond that will last for at least an hour. Uh, there was also the possibility of calling this the Open Mic Podcast, which would have been nice because that's my name, and it's also something that's done in comedy. Uh, but there was already an open mic podcast out there, so that stinks. Uh, there was the mic check, which again is my name, and also something that is done to microphones, which is what I use to record this. And then also the too long podcast, because these will last at least an hour, most likely an hour and a half to two hours, depending on uh, subject matter, um, and subject matter being person that I'm interviewing. Uh, now before you get, you start thinking like, hey, Mike, I don't have time to sit and listen to an hour and 45 minute podcast, okay? I don't, I, I got things to do. Well, relax. Because this is not an eight track tape. You don't have to listen to the whole thing through or, or anything. You just pause it and you pick it up and you go about your business. And then you, when you're done work or, um, washing your car or paying the bills or, mowing the lawn or whatever whatever you're doing. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know your life. Uh, but whatever, whenever you're done that, then you can come back to the podcast, pick up where you left off, and learn more about whoever I'm interviewing. Okay? So, relax. Jeez. Um, the first person that I interviewed that I, excuse me, get close to is a Philly Improv performer, director, coach, uh, instructor, all-around awesome person, Kristen Shear. Now you may think Kristen Shear, but I I know Kristen Shear. Okay, why would I? Why do I need an hour and a half to listen to Kristen Shear? Well, guess what? I thought I knew her too. I've known her for two plus years now, but I, I promise you that at the end of this forty-five, one hour and forty-five minutes, you will know her much better than you thought you ever would want to. Uh, or cared to, depending on your likes or dislikes. Uh, I don't. Again, I don't know you. I don't know your life. Um, yeah, we talk about a lot of stuff. We talk about Zalgao, of course. We talk about Amy Kristen. Talk about other shows that she's done, Real Housewives. Talk about her experiences in Fletcher and the the ending of Fletcher. A lot of stuff that you know you don't really talk about uh, too much with people, uh, or or just things that generally aren't discussed openly, and that's what getting close with Mike Marbach is all about. Uh, so I will shut up and allow you to listen as I get close with Kristen Shear. I'm ready when you are, Mike. Yeah, great. Uh, well, I am ready. Awesome. And by ready, I mean not ready at all. <laughs> uh, today's guest for the premiere episode, the inaugural pilot episode of whatever I decide I want to call this podcast um, is none other than Philly Improv Extraordinaire. You said it. <laughs> I, did. I did. 
uh, Kristen Shear. Uh, so thank you very much for coming up to my studio. And yes, studio, it's very I mean, nice in here. By studio, I mean bedroom. I love the vertical blinds. <laughs> I hate the vertical blinds. So, Mike, I have um, one thing I like. I, I, I'm not sure how to feel about being the first person that you ask to do the podcast. Because pretty, pretty great. It's, that's awesome, right, to be the first person. But then also, the podcast hasn't really generated a following yet. No. So no one's going to hear my interview. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I will listen to it at least twice in editing. Okay. Does that, help? that That makes me feel good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, people people will listen. Uh, and then it, after the, the podcast does develop a following, and by does, I mean probably won't, uh, <laughs> I'll just re-put this one out there, re distribute what's the yeah i think re, that's a good re-upload yeah i'll sneak it back in yeah or i'll publicize it and you know and i'll create a classics section <laughs> nice <laughs> good i already have a following and the classic section <laughs> yeah. we haven't recorded a fucking question yet yeah um all right well how are you today it's beautiful out it's like 70 degrees yeah in the middle of march uh yeah yeah so it's that's pretty weird. great uh not much of a winter Nope. No, not much of a winter at all. You know what they say about March? In like a lamb, out like a lamb. That's, <laughs> that's not, it's not accurate. What they say about March. No, it's not at all what they but say. But that's what happened. Yeah. Uh, I'm feeling pretty good. I have a little bit of a, um, I, I'm chasing down a little bit of a cold or something, but I feel great. And I, I took a nice walk through the Italian market to get over here You're to chasing, your lovely studio. Chasing it down? Yeah. I don't know. What, what else did you be gonna... running from it? Yeah. You I don't get... want to catch the cold. You already <laughs> caught the cold. Right. And, <laughs> you it's, wanna... and it's robbed me of my health, so I'm go. chasing it down. Yeah. Get my health back. Oh, okay. All right. Go. So you want to catch the cold so you can get your health back. Yes. All right. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, all right. Well, let's just uh, jump into it. Because I, I listen to a bunch of improv podcasts, and I don't want this to be just improv. I just want it to be uh, anybody really that wants to talk to me. Uh, anybody is an open call to anybody you have, listening. You have low standards, Mike. <laughs> well, uh, my first guest is Kristen Shear. <laughs> Touche. No, not at all. That's uh, quite high standards. Uh, I tweeted this morning uh, that I was about to do a podcast with uh, with you, and th- what I said it was low low quality recording, high quality guest. Oh, that's so <laughs> sweet. I love that. I love that. So that's where we're at right now. But I do. I listen to a lot of uh, podcasts. And one of the things I always love is what, that they, how in-depth they, they go with different people that they would have on. Whether it's an improv podcast or the What the Fuck podcast with Mark Maron, which is awesome too. Uh, he really gets into uh, the backgrounds of people. So that's, the, that's where I want to start. I want to start with uh, your background. Uh, and by background, uh, let's take it before comedy and just family. So what's, what, what's your, what was your family like growing up? Oh, yeah. Um, I had there's a dog. <laughs> I did have a dog. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, no, I had, I had a great time as a kid growing up. My, my parents were amazing, and I had um, two really awesome uh, siblings, my brother and my sister. And I also grew up with a cousin of mine who I, who I call my, my brother. He lived with us for a while. Um, as far as, uh, yeah, we used to live in a small town, Chardon, Ohio. Um, it was very picturesque, very um, 
you know, I don't even know, Norman Rockwell, like we went to a maple festival every year and it had pancake eating contests mm. and parades and we had a 4th of July celebration down at Bass Lake and the whole, the whole neighborhood would come down. I took art lessons from a lady who lived up the street and we were best friends with the neighbor's kids um, and, you know, running around digging in the dirt and playing in the little kid pools that we had <laughs> set up outside the backyard. The inflatables? Yeah. 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 And, um, yeah, and I guess um, I had to move from Chardon in about, uh, at about fourth grade. So that was really tough on me. Um, what, why did you have to move? Uh, my dad got transferred in his job. And then eventually he just got a, a different job. Okay. Um, what, work, was his, what was his line of work? He was working for um, K Jewelers. Okay. Uh, Every as, kiss begins with K. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it used to be a different company, and K bought him out, and I forget the name of the other company. Um, but ironically, it started with J. Uh-huh. I don't really know if that's ironic, but <laughs> um, so then he so, then he started working for a fabric company out when he moved out, and he moved out maybe a month or two before we moved out um, to to um, Westchester, Pennsylvania. Okay. And I started there in fourth grade and had a lot of really great friends in fourth grade. And around about that time, I started asking my mom um, if I could do... Well, I didn't really ask my mom, I guess. She put me in acting classes. (laughs) Um, But I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And actually, the first character I can remember ever creating was a character called Fred Shiraki named after Pat Chiraki, who did the, the news. The news yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who still does the news, if who I'm not mistaken. Who still does the news, yeah. absolutely. And uh, so I pretended to be Fred Chiraki on home videos and in this um, just, just playtime. It was pretty much playtime, but it was an acting class. Yeah. Do you remember uh, the character Fred Chiraki? I just, yeah, it was pretty much me, but I called myself Fred, and I thought that was funny. Okay. (laughs) Like, oh, I'm totally different. Works on many levels. Yeah. (laughs) Or at least one. Yeah. (laughs) It's totally different. I gave myself a different name, and it's a a name for a boy. Oh, that's hilarious. So is Pat. Yeah. Uh. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Uh, Okay, so your, your mom just put you into acting classes. Yeah. Uh, and you, you didn't really express any interest in, in acting up until that point? Um, not up until that point, but I would do stuff, I think, that tipped my parents off that it would be a good idea. When we did a summer vacation, I directed a play um, when I was very young um, called The Toga Play. I remember it. And I just had, I had my cousins and my sister dress up in togas and speak gibberish and nothing happened in the toga play but I thought it was hilarious we had towels wrapped around our heads we had towels and bathrobes draped on us and we looked very Grecian and heroic and and uh, I I got my cousin and my sister and my brother to do this and this is before the acting yeah classes. and I think my parents are like all right, all right. <laughs> it's time to get this kid and yeah they took the kind of preempted your request I guess yeah um well that's cool uh so they they've been real supportive then oh yeah of everything absolutely and continue to be okay uh what about your your siblings any Uh, of those also in the arts yeah my sister um she is a fantastic artist um she doesn't really have a particular medium 
but um, sometimes she does paintings, but if you just walk into her home, it's like decorated so wonderfully. And um, she manages to make like anything look really cool from yeah. down from the way that she dresses or from the way that she just has things situated in the house. So she's always had an eye for that kind of thing. And my brother is a fantastic writer. Um, he he um, writes kind of these proverbs for himself. Uh, <laughs> so that's weird. But he he's written me several letters due to his circumstances. He's he's in prison. Yeah. Um, and I I really get the sense of how he's feeling with these letters. He's a really good writer. Do you do you remember any of the proverbs? Would you would you care to share any of those? Um, no, he wrote kind of this. I guess it's longer. This particular one that comes to mind is longer than uh, a short couplet, like a proverb would be phrased. But um, he he has a saying that feed the good wolf, which is like everybody has two wolves inside of them. One is, you know, a wolf that is good, and one is a wolf that is bad, and. You know, he, he constantly, like, puts in his letters, you know, I'm trying to feed the good wolf so that it's stronger than the bad wolf. Right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, so you are in acting classes, and about how old is this? Um, I started when I was pretty young, like six or seven, I think, oh. doing that stuff. I also had tap dancing classes. <laughs> that was a mess. I was never any good at that. My sister was was a dancer. She did a production of The Nutcracker. I I don't think I was coordinated enough ever <laughs> to, to really get it. Okay. Um, when did you make the transition into more comedy sort of sort of things? Because I know you still do a lot of a lot of acting. Yeah. It's not necessarily comedy uh, acting, but when did you start? Were you a funny kid? Is what I'm what I'm saying, I guess. Uh, yeah, I, I like to think I was. Um, really, I, I, in my family, my sister is really, she's really a f the funny one. Um, I'm I'm more quiet, and that's kind of my dynamic. But I do remember car trips that we would take down to these vacations, and I, me and my sister would just go on creating these weird stories or characters in the backseat of the car as we were driving down to North Carolina or driving over to my grandmother's who, who lives still lives in Ohio. And uh, I remember more than once my mom and my grandmother having to pull off to the side of the road uh, because they were laughing too <laughs> hard. Um, we were just being really silly yeah. uh, in the backseat of the car, um, singing songs about whatever or um, talking about whatever. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so you're in acting classes. You're you're making people laugh. Uh, do you remember what the your first maybe stage experience was where you got a you got a laugh and about could you talk about that? Yeah, uh, I do. The first play that I did was Snow White, and I played Sleepy, the dwarf. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually improvised. Um, because someone forgot their line. And um, we were all standing around Snow White's bed, this girl who played Snow White, and uh, Grumpy was supposed to say, like, maybe the prince should kiss her to wake her up. And Grumpy was looking at everybody, going, I don't know what to say. I know I, I, know I say something here. Yeah, but, but I don't, I don't what remember it what it is. And so I, as Sleepy the Dwarf, I said... I think Grumpy is trying to say that this prince should kiss uh, Snow White to wake her up. 
Um, so it wasn't like the best <laughs> improv line, but I, I disagree. It was pretty great. <laughs> yeah, um, and I was little. I I enjoyed it. Um, and how old yeah. was that? Uh, I I was about seven or eight. Okay. Um, that was the end of the like one of the acting classes that that I was first put into. And, uh, yeah, I also remember laying down. One of the blocking directions was for me to lay down underneath the table and snore really loud. And I guess people just thought it was cute. <laughs> like, come in and snore really loud. So that was fun. Okay. What about some of the uh, maybe elementary high school years? Uh, did you do any kind of acting comedy in, in there? Yeah. Um, I, I did a bunch of plays when I was in... Uh, middle school and high school. In in middle school, we had an amazing drama teacher, and I give them a lot of uh, credit for you know making me really want to do this. Um, we did a production in middle school of the the Tempest, which was pretty ambitious for yeah. for kids to do, and I I got cast as Ariel, so that was a lot of fun. Um, we also did a production of The Merchant of Venice. And we switched out roles, so we, we did a selection of scenes for The Merchant of Venice. We didn't do the whole piece. Right. I think after she um, attempted The Tempest, she realized it was a tall order for some, some of the middle school students. Um, but we did get on the news for our production of The Tempest because we did it in a Star Trek style. And the Star Trek The Next Generation was uh, just really big around then, and yeah. that's what we did. Uh, Prospero comes to a new planet, and that's where all the... Um, that's instead of an abandoned island. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I did, I did theater on all through high school. I did a production of Anne Frank, um, a silly production called The Vampire. Um, yeah, I did a production of Annie Get Your Gun. I, I was, uh, just one of the kids. I, I didn't, uh, do a bunch of musicals, but, uh, yeah, I yeah. loved it. But you like to sing. Oh yeah, yeah. I do like to sing. Mm -hmm. I've actually grown in confidence. I think mostly due to improv, with my with singing. Um, I I was always really nervous uh, about it in front of people, and um, but yeah, improv has has helped me grow my confidence. And now, I just I sing, and I think that's a big part of being able to sing well. That uh, fear a little bit has I've learned to manage that fear, mm -hmm. um, and. I, I like I like singing. Confidence is huge in singing um, because it, I've taken some musical improv things. I know you have too, and there's going to be a lot of people in those classes who maybe can't carry a tune. Carry, is it carry a tune or carry yeah. a note? Yeah, carry a tune. Carry tunes. Uh, who can't hit a note? Hit a note. Yeah, you hit notes. <laughs> you carry tunes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, they can't quite. They can't sing. So one of the things that they're always told is just commit, which in improv itself is is what it's all about. Yeah. It's just commitment to whatever you're doing. Um, okay, so what about uh, college? I don't know if you... Yeah, I I went to the University of the Arts for theater, yeah. um, which I imagine was a little scary for my parents. Like I said, they've been very supportive, um, but still, knowing that uh, your daughter's going away to school to study something that probably won't be lucrative, um, I imagine, and, and hasn't been, really, if I'm honest. <laughs> Um, they were right. <laughs> In memories and applause. <laughs> yeah. Well, no. yeah, yeah, there you go. That's yeah. where the, can't take that to the yeah. bank. <laughs> no, not yet. The memory bank, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so anyway, yeah, I did, I only did two um, productions in college. I was, uh, 
uh, Arthur Miller background girl because I did a production of The Crucible and I did a production of A View from the Bridge, um, which I did not belong in because that's a play with uh, a play about the, an Italian American experience down on the docks and and uh, um, in particular one man's uh, you know weird obsession with his niece, um, but. So I, myself and Mike Flynn played the one Irish couple that was living on the docks. Uh, Mike Flynn? Mike Flynn, yeah, and a, a guy who I went to, to school with. Okay. Um, shout out to Mike Flynn. Shout out, Mike Flynn. Yeah. Good guy. Get him to listen. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I did. However, uh, the experience was rewarding on many, many different levels. Because I wasn't cast in a lot of different productions, I actually had to do a lot of... Um, uh, self-analysis you know and really rely on that I kept getting feedback from my uh, teachers that I was doing really good work in studio and you know that that uh, you know the right the right thing just hadn't come along and um, you know and then I I had to weigh that against me not really getting cast in a lot uh, and I that balance of you know helped me find a good place where I could be sort of a sober judge of my own work um, where, you know, I took everything with a grain of salt, whether it was really good feedback or really bad feedback. Yeah. Um, I weighed it against other things that I, you know, developed a sense of, of myself. What then, what was happening in the Philly arts scene after you graduated? So I was kind of going to a lot of uh, shows and seeing people. I had uh, got cast in a show with Azuka uh, right out the bat. I played a, in a, a play called Metamorphosis, um, which was an adaptation of the Franz Kafka story, as one of the lodgers, and that was a lot of fun. And uh, I ran into, at some of the parties, I ran into an actor who I don't think lives here anymore, um, named Bryce, who said, oh, I, I have an agent down, down at the Actors Center, and he sends me out on commercial auditions. So I went down there and uh, wanted to see what that was about and met this guy who was working there at the time named Bill Brown who wanted to start an improv comedy troupe and was having auditions for it. So uh, Rodney, he's a big talker when you go in there. He's he's an interesting character. <laughs> Rodney we, at the Actors Center. Yeah, which we could we could uh, talk a lot about but um, uh, <laughs> in another podcast. But uh, he was like, oh... After I did my open call, oh Bill, you're starting a, you know, comedy. You should you should have this young lady audition, and so I did. And lo and behold, I was cast in this improv comedy troupe with a bunch of other really really great people who are really busy doing a lot of great work in Philly. Um, even though the comedy troupe did not work at all, <laughs> um, we were called the Gurus of Guffaw. If that gives you any idea. About the quality <laughs> of <laughs> of the troupe, which is not a knock against Bill or any of the people in the troupe. Um, uh, so that's where I started to do, uh, specifically do improv uh, okay. comedy. How long did the Gurus of Guffaw last? It did not last <laughs> at all. <laughs> it maybe lasted about a year that's... and was fizzling for probably two or three months in that period anyway. Um did you have shows that you performed, or was this like one of those groups that just practices and never does we, anything? We had shows scheduled for Saturday, and um, we had practice Saturday afternoon and then shows Saturday night, so that was weird. 
Um, but uh, we never got audience in. However, there were a few times when people found us somehow and rented us for a party, like uh, uh, bought out the theater. And so we did do a couple of shows in front of good-sized crowds, um, those poor audiences, because <laughs> we had no idea what we were really doing. Did um, you have a, a coach? Bill was the coach as well as performing in the troupe. And, you know, mm. even though I'm in that situation myself now with the end crowd, I'm entirely aware that it's not ideal. Right. Um, and then soon after, um, somehow I started running rehearsals and would talk with Bill about it. But I seemed to just find my way into that. Uh, I um, At this point, I can be a little overconfident about those things and I have to be very careful that I don't force myself into a director's role where there's not that's not needed but mm-hmm. um, this was different than that this wasn't me pushing yeah. um, it was just something that I started to lead warm-ups and and uh, have comments and then through conversation with Bill he was like well why don't you why don't you start running practices um, so I kind of fell into that role pretty early on um, and then in and around that time, I started getting involved with some other troops in town. Okay. What are what are some of the other troops? Now, these are improv troops or just acting troops? Or? Improv troops. I was, was also doing some theater along with that. Um, but uh, as far as improv is concerned, there was a person in the Gurus um, named Jody who was working with Rick Horner uh, and some other folks um, in a group called Elastic. Elastic. Yes. Okay. <laughs> and... Soon after I joined Elastic, some things evolved and changed, and because of that, they wanted to change the name, and they changed it to Zombie Shark. And it was Jody, myself, Cubby, and uh, Rick. Uh, what's Jody's last name? Uh, Jody Miller. Jody Miller, yeah. Rick Corner, Cubby Altobelli. Altobelli, yes. Altobelli. Uh, and you. Yeah. Okay. And this was Zombie Shark. This was Zombie Shark. What and... about, because uh, this, this period is something I don't know about. So what what where about where about whereabouts whenabouts was the zombie shark? Well, it was right around the time of the first uh, Philly Improv Festival because Zombie Shark had did a set. Um, we did a a short form set that I very much remember being in with with uh, playing a game or two and with with Cubby and Rick. It was a lot of fun. And Zombie Shark was short form. Zombie Shark was short form. We started afterwards calling it mid-form. Mid. Uh, and knowing the characters in that troupe, it shouldn't surprise you that uh, we were trying something different. Yeah. Uh, um, and sure. it actually it actually was was a lot of fun. We took a lot of um, short form games and extended the life of them um, into longer scenes. And uh, because the people in the, in the troupe were really good, it, there were a lot of times that it worked. Um, yeah. Uh, I learned a lot from from being with those guys. Um, now, when the name went from Elastic to Zombie Shark, did any of the form stuff change, or was it always short form to medium form? It was always short form to medium form. Yeah, um, uh, and yeah, I didn't I I didn't stay involved with them very long because our practices were on Tuesday nights, and in and around then, the end crowd was having auditions. And uh, I was enjoying my time with Zombie Shark, but uh, the end crowd, I went, I went to see one of their shows during the Fringe. I really enjoyed it, and they said they were having auditions, and it was kind of a more regular thing. 
Um, we were just getting gigs here and there as Zombie Shark. We, you never knew when you were going to have a show. It could be months or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And uh, the end crowd was having shows every week. So I auditioned um, and got in and had to part ways with, with Zombie Shark, and uh, which later became Whipsuit because <laughs> Jody also Okay, which still down. does shows. Yeah. Yeah, they do shows at O'Neill's, uh, I think once a month, right? Yeah, Friday nights. Once and that's that. That's Rick and Cubby. And Cubby. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I auditioned for the end crowd and got in uh, and uh, started doing shows with them. Okay. And what year was that? Uh, that was around two thousand six, I think, wow. if I have my timeline is correct. Yeah. <laughs> it better be. Yeah, I, I I'm my really bad with gonna, dates. I'm really bad. I'll, I'll have my interns check it out. So uh, this was year seven of fifth, right? So let's go back seven years. That would be what two thousand. Uh, 2005 yeah so it was around 2006 okay yeah uh where does the end crowd fall into this um i saw one of their one of their shows during the fringe festival which must have been september of uh, 2006 and uh oh so you were not a an original member then no i was not an original member now i know right now you're the artistic director so what happened what happened there how did that come about? Uh, so this goes into some of the in crowd's uh, kind of family history. Uh, Ray Reese was putting up all the money for the shows on his own, on his own dime. He was renting the space. He was uh, doing everything. He even bought advertisements and all this stuff. Well, he uh, pretty quickly ran out of money yeah. <laughs> um, and said, we're going to have to stop doing shows until I build up my funds again. And the end crowd at that point had been performing regularly uh, in a couple of different venues. We, we started at Spirit Wind, and then we moved to Society Hill Playhouse. And we didn't want to stop doing shows. So we said, look, why don't we collectively put up the money? And, you know, we will take the hit if we can't afford it. But since we are putting up money, we get say. And we're going to kind of, you know, put in place a voting system of how things should work. You know, if people want to spend the group's money on such and such a thing, then we would vote for it and whatever the group decides. So very democratic. And um, I was voted in as the artistic director of the group. And we continue to have voting every six months or sometimes when nothing, we don't really feel like anything's really going to change anyway. We, We stave off voting for another year. Uh, you know, it's, it's up to the group. If there's issues that we want to vote on, we'll bring them up. Um, so since then I've been, um, voted in as artistic director. And, uh, also in and around this time, uh, FIT starts, uh, beginning to teach classes and... 2006-ish? Yeah. Six-ish. And, uh, shortly thereafter holds auditions for the first rounds of house teams. Okay. So that's around 2006. Uh, and the first house teams, why don't you talk about the first audition, the first round of auditions? How, how did that, how did that go? Um, they got an amazing number of people to audition. Um, they were held at the Arden, uh, in the, in one of the kind of back storage rooms, which makes it sound terrible. It was a fine (laughs) space to, uh, to hold an audition. Um, but, uh, Lots of props. Yeah, so it was on the second floor, and and, uh, people were pretty much lined up, and you came in in a group of six, and you did some stuff, and then they called folks back. Uh, And at that time, I had already been teaching a class. So I was particularly nervous auditioning. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
I was nervous auditioning that if I don't get on a team and I'm teaching class, like, oh gosh, like, what does that mean? Um, So that was a really strange experience for me, like, uh, but I did, I ended up getting cast. Okay, and you got cast on? Fletcher. Yeah, Fletcher. Which we didn't know the name yet, and uh, we didn't have code names back then, so just kind of a group that didn't have a name that was practicing until we decided on a name. Yeah, but the code names are, are my fault. No, I don't want to use the word fault. Yeah, I like my, them. My gift, if I may. <laughs> yes. Uh, and they all are all Lord of the Rings inspired. Yeah. Uh, because in Chicago, where I'm from, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, we had uh, all the teams were were given a name right off the bat, and then when we were going through with uh, with Asteroid, what became Asteroid, uh, the new team. The new team. I hated saying the new team. The new team. Yeah. Uh, so I just started calling them Stormcrow. Uh, and then when the other team started coming on, I just kept slipping these code names over to Greg. Yeah, yeah. And they, they, he hasn't rejected the the idea. He's kind of embraced it, which has been fantastic. Yeah. Um, okay, so Fletcher is now in existence. Uh, maybe not as the, as the team. But yeah. I want to go back a little bit sure uh to talk about the actual audition so what Mm -hmm. was the audition like um so i got put in a group with like six people and the audition was us uh warming up and then doing a round of two person scenes uh and that was pretty much it for the initial audition um as far as i can remember I, i might not be remembering it absolutely correctly um so that was the initial audition, and then you waited to hear if you were called back. Okay. And uh, callbacks took place at the Shubin, and they did... Uh, I, I had to arrive late to the callback um, because of a rehearsal commitment that I had with a show I was doing. Yeah, and then we did... They did a round of Great Party last night, and then they did some two-person scenes, and, and uh, I don't even think they did a montage because there were so many people to see, yeah. and all the directors were looking at everybody. And the directors at the time were, uh, well, they, what were the original teams? Uh, uh, the original teams were Fletcher, at, yeah. Activity Book, Everything Must Go. And that's it. And that's it? Okay. Yeah. All right. So Rick, Greg, and Scott Shepard. Yes. And then Alexis was there as artistic director right. also watching the auditions. Okay. Uh, now, you, you had said before that you were kind of nervous having taught class that, you know, what, is, what does it say if, if I don't get cast? Yeah. Uh, so how did you feel after the actual audition and callback? Um, I felt really good. I I did um, I did some really fun scenes with with the folks that were there, um, and kind of was proud of the way I handled. Uh, I remember in the callback, I got the old uh, "take your medicine, crazy lady" <laughs> gift from someone, <laughs> and so I gave them a crazy lady. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, once, once I was endowed as such, and that was a lot of fun. Okay. So I truly, it was, it was a, a nice thing to have yeah. handed to you in an audition. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it's brilliant. Yeah. Uh, going off of that a little bit, what would you say to? Because eventually there's going to be more improv auditions. I think yeah. the, I saw something about the A list having auditions. Oh yeah. Uh, I saw that. Um, well, not saw. <laughs> I foresaw that at some point I'm sure there will be more Fit House team auditions. Yeah. So for anybody that's listening, um, me and you, uh, for probably, and that's probably going to be it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, what would you, what, any words of advice for people that are going to audition? 
Um, for an improv troupe. Yeah, I would say my words of advice are kind of twofold. Um, one is uh, uh, do something. So you've got you've got to do something. You can't just freeze. Um, and you know you you've got to make something. You got to make either uh, an environment or an object, a character. Uh, you you can put some detail in a relationship. Uh, you you got to do something, and then um, you know. So that's what I look for because a lot of times you'd be surprised. Um, auditioners don't do anything; they just criticize what someone else has done. So someone will step out and bake a, a tray of cookies, and the other person will step out and say, "I don't want those cookies," or "Those cookies are stupid," or "You're the worst mom ever," or Oh, they're burnt. You don't know how to make cookies. So they haven't done anything. All they've done yeah. is just criticize what someone else has stepped out. And and also, uh, who doesn't want cookies? Yeah, <laughs> Everybody like wants cookies, cookies you know. Um, and so so there's that. And, and and then the other thing I look for on the other side of the table is, are you having fun making stuff up? Because that's what I'm going to be asking you to do for the next several months of the engagement or years or whatever ends up being the life of the troop that that uh, we have uh, you know uh, we we have to work together on uh, so are you enjoying this process <laughs> like because if you're not then find something that you enjoy so if it um, scares the crap out of you or you know you 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 go through trauma every time um, you know maybe Think about doing something else. Uh, yeah. I, I don't want to sound too harsh, but for real. Like, yeah, if you're not enjoying it, find something else to do. Find something else to do or, or you know, figure out why that is, uh, yeah. where where you're putting pressure on yourself and, and uh, you know, take care of that because you, you don't need to be putting, it's supposed to be fun. <laughs> you don't need to be putting pressure on yourself like that. Okay. Uh, okay, moving back, jumping back forward in time from the audition. Uh, so you're now on Fletcher. Yeah. And you got activity book and everything must go. Uh, Philly Improv Theater has house teams now. And what's happening in the scene as a result? Um, well, I remember the debut of the house teams and watching um, the different teams. Uh, you know, we had been in our own little uh, corners working on the show <laughs> and nobody really knew what these teams are going to be like. And... I was so impressed right off the gate with Activity Book. Their first show, they, they just blew it out of the water, and I was like, wow, this is awesome. And, and uh, you know, what was going going through my head is they, they really set the bar high uh, for, for Fletcher, um, you know. Activity Book yeah. has uh, set the bar high in your eyes for, uh, for Fletcher. So where do you go? What, what's happening? Well, uh, Fletcher has a show uh, soon up after that, and we were doing a documentary-style opening at the time where um, two, two characters would speak as if to a camera and about whatever the suggestion you know inspired them to speak about. Mm -hmm. And we would kind of tap in and do different characters and then use that as a launching point into the show. And the first show was weird. <laughs> it was just <laughs> weird. Uh, it was all kinds of sloppy and there was all kinds of miscommunication. Uh, there were definitely parts of it that were fun. I can just remember a dinosaur museum with me and John Buseman that... Um, yeah, that was just strange that parents took their kids to. Okay, so the original Fletcher cast also had some 
had some changes. Yeah. So it was you, John Buseman, who moved to Texas? Yeah, Austin, Texas, and who he's else? doing great work down there. Emily? Uh, Jay Brenner. No, Emily was not in oh. the original cast. Wow. Um, Rob Banowitz. He was on Fletcher? He was on Fletcher oh, for a brief wow. time. Uh, okay. And this other kid named Sam, Jillian, and myself. Uh, so Jay also moved to Memphis. Uh, so he moved down south. What happened with Rob and Fletcher? Is that something you uh, Rob had to about? leave um, because of his job at QVC at the time. And it was, was too demanding for him to meet you know, to, to be able to come to, to rehearsals and do shows and, okay. and he couldn't, he couldn't maintain it. Um, and then this kid, Sam, he was right out of college and he was like, I'm going to Spain. Like, so he went to Spain. I think he even came back, but then never re-engaged the troop after that. So, so we were down some members, um, pretty early on and we were going for a while with just that. And then we, we had to audition some new members. Okay, and then who was added through that round of auditions? Uh, Andy Moskowitz was added, Andrew Stober. Uh, Emily Emily actually never auditioned. She was just brought in. Uh, she, she had moved down from New York, uh, played with a troupe that was happening during the time called Illegal Refill in a rehearsal okay. once or twice, and uh, Scott being there thought she would be a good fit and just invited her. Uh, to be on the troop, which was awesome. Yeah, she's, uh, been, she's been fantastic. Yeah. Uh, uh, and also Zach Chase was added. Zach, so. yeah. Okay, so I think I was around for this point. This was 2009? Yeah, I think so. Something yeah. like that. It I was could, funny to watch Andy audition because he had just gotten uh, wisdom tooth surgery and his <laughs> teeth were so puffed, like his cheeks <laughs> were so puffed up. And... <laughs> It was really painful to watch him audition, but he managed to be funny, so, yeah. Okay, so you are on Fletcher, you've had some new members, uh, what's, how are the shows going? Shows are going great. Uh, we, we'd been down to Baltimore, and I think it was Dan, Jay, myself, and John, so just the four of us, um, because the troupe was kind of smaller numbers at that point, we did this amazing show where, uh, uh, it was about uh, our suggestion was prom is the whole theme night for the for the big Baltimore improv groups uh, night was prom and uh, I just can have I just I hardly even remember the show I just know it was a blast okay. um, and Daryl Charles was in the audience for that lo and behold <laughs> just oh, weird and wow. uh, meeting him back in in Philly I don't know is I don't he know from why Baltimore? I was down in Baltimore I don't th- I don't know I don't know where Daryl's from uh, I'm glad he's here though yeah that's uh, great. And we, we did a Del Close marathon set at the Hudson Guild that just uh, rocked. It was rocked. And I can remember us shaking in our boots. Emily's on the, on the troop at this point. Shaking in our boots beforehand and saying to each other, just like, all right, guys, no matter what happens out there, let's be with each other and have fun. And that is exactly what we did. We created an OBGYN with a slip and slide. Great. Um, and... I can remember, because Hudson Guild's a big stage. It's a really big stage. It's one of the bigger stages we've ever played in. I can remember looking at Jay Brenner from way across the stage and seeing his eyes sparkle, and he just do a full-on run and then belly slide <laughs> across the stage. And it was awesome. And uh, I, we, we were doing a, a monologue at that point um, to open up the show, and everybody would kind of ask us questions about the monologue. Right. And I, I talked about this uh, growing up because our suggestion was puberty. And then throughout the, the show, everybody took turns playing my nipples in, in, in the set. 
Um, and I just stopped in one scene and being looked. the nipples. Yeah. Okay. So John stuck Not his like arms through this playing. hand. Yeah, yeah, hand through my armpits and his fingers were out and and it was just hilarious okay. and uh um i can just remember stopping in a scene and saying do you ever feel like you're being taken advantage of because everybody's lining up and tagging john out and and replacing his fingers as my nipples <laughs> so everybody's feeling me up it was great awesome okay so fletcher is it's 2009 ish uh fletcher's going going well yeah. uh the original members of fletcher or dan rich was in there right yeah, and and the show that I just talked about, Del Close was was before some of the new members were added. But once they were added, we we had some great shows at the Shubin. Uh, one in particular was uh, uh, one where we deified Zach throughout the whole show, and and we even have a, a picture on our page about the Last Supper because we created a tableau of the Last Supper <laughs> and Zach's in the middle, and then uh, we opened up for Adsit and Gaussis and had an amazing show with them. Uh, and I remember a group game where we all sang happy birthday, the dumbest thing in the world, but it got huge applause from the audience because yeah. we were so there with each other. Yeah. When we had to come to the name, because we all know how to sing happy birthday, <laughs> then you come to the name, and we're all looking at each other, and we found the name Stephen through yeah. you know, lip reading and pure improv, and that was hilarious. And so, that was May of 2010. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I remember when they, as Angelsis came, they were fantastic. They were. They were uh, amazing. Okay, so around, so this is May 2010, when, where we're at right now, and when does, it's not too far off of Zhao Gao time, right? Yeah. yeah. A few months after that, they have the auditions for the, the Fit House team, so let's jump there a little bit. Um, so, auditions. You're asked to be a director. Yeah, which was awesome. I was very excited. I was a little hesitant because of, you know, how many things I had busied myself with. Which, uh, let's go through those in our heads to see what kind of decision this was. Uh, so the end crowd is a bi-weekly obligation, if that's the right word, so Tuesday, Friday. Um, I was also doing a project um, called The Real Housewives of Philadelphia, which eventually slowed down to be kind of more of a one-year uh, once a year kind of thing, but it was a great, a great fun project that I um, loved working on. Uh, Fletcher, obviously, is a big commitment with Saturday nights and Thursday night rehearsals, and I started to do a project with my friend Amy um, that, that we were just kind of toying around with um, until, it, until it really took off, and... Um, here and there, other little things. Uh, Alexis um, had a had a break with the theater, and was putting up shows under PJI, and so I would do some sort of one-offs. Um, one of them were called the travel logs because Mike Connor had just gotten back from traveling all around the U.S. and was going to tell stories about it and have a cast of characters. Oh, uh, cool. And then uh, uh, also, ladies and gentlemen, um, that was around the same time as the Adsit and Gauss's show because I had to miss the ladies and gentlemen uh, one of their shows to to do that. Right. Um, and yeah, just various other, uh, little one-off shows okay. popping up. So you had a lot going on. Yeah. Uh, that was weighing on your mind as to whether or not you were going to take on the responsibility of directing what would become Zhao Gao. Uh, right. but you eventually did say yes. Yeah. Uh, and what was, um, how's, how's that been? What was, well, let's jump back a little bit. What was the process like? in building the team? What kind of thing were you looking for? 
Well, at that point, I had um, had a lot of experiences in improv and started to develop a taste of like what I really liked. Um, and I, I knew that I wanted to put a, a team together that reflected some of my favorite things that I'd seen and uh, even been a part of. So instrumental in that was uh, this group called Switchboard, which some performers, a mix of performers from New York and Chicago do. Yep. Um, three, three fantastic women, Rebecca Sohn, Jean Villapique, and Deb Downing, and they, they did a lot of organic transitions between scenes. Um, I also did a troika team called Pony Coat that used organic transitions. Um, we were doing clown stuff. It was uh, on Pony Coat. Alexis Simpson, Ali Sewell, and myself. And it was the first round of Troika ever. And it was the longest. It took like a year <laughs> for real to finish that process. And we, uh, you know, I stood on the shoulders of geniuses and we ended up victorious. Um, but we were doing kind of weird transitions, thus checking in with each other every once in a while, blah, 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 morphing it into something else. And, okay. um, and then obviously I had seen a group called Four Trap from The Magnet. Uh, and I'd been out to Chicago and seen a lot of Herald-esque openings where they create like a washing machine all together, you know, yeah. um, and really enjoyed that. And then uh, was also part of Punchline, which you directed in the Fringe. What, what summer was that? That was 2010, summer of 2010. Summer of 2010. And a lot of the ideas across all those shows, and especially experiencing it with a team uh, in Punchline, um, started to really solidify the idea of what I was looking for. So I'm not sure all the house team directors went in with uh, what they were kind of looking to do, and I knew that I still had to keep the door open for the playing style of, of you know players that right. I ended up casting, but yeah. that was the idea. So I looked for folks that I thought could um, be supportive and take a backseat kind of a role. I looked for folks who played physically, and I look for folks who could drop in and make really specific choices uh, because, and you know, that's that's your way into organic work. If you if you if you're in the soup, uh, you you got to find something uh, to come out of that with. Uh, otherwise, you're just gonna be in the soup for a while. Yeah. Now you and I have talked about this. Uh, this is getting a little off topic, um, but uh, what would you say? makes organic improv first of all what is what is organic improv because it's such a a term that has for some reason a lot of negative connotations from some people yeah i think a lot of people think of like uh what i call like to call it snake group games where everybody's just kind of going see <laughs> yeah. um or, and you can't see me because it's a podcast but or, i'm moving all around yeah, and just being like weird artsy fartsy you yeah. are a snake right now <laughs> Uh -huh. uh, and then wind blows and, and people yeah. drumming on the floor. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, um, it does have that negative connotation for that for that reason, probably. Because um, uh, people, you know, I don't know, especially here in Philly, being so close to New York, uh, where we see a lot of UCB-style yeah. game stuff, right. that, that's well, the overriding influence. Um, and uh, that's a great influence. But yeah. um, with organic stuff... Uh, what I, I define it as um, making choices from specifically what is being generated right there in the moment. And it's more of a physical uh, wiring than it is a, uh, you know, a, a premise-based wiring. It's, um, it's, it's just happening out of the shape your body's in. 
at that moment. So, yeah. yeah. There's okay. a lot more that goes into it, but that's uh, that's how I... I don't know. So you're looking for people that can do that for Zalgal. Yeah. And who did you find? Oh, wow. Uh, just the most amazing cast. And, and the cast kind of just came to me. There were a lot of really great people that auditioned. Um, and I'm still saying that <laughs> because it's really true. It was, it was tough and then all of a sudden not tough because there was the team. Yeah. Um, the and team was there the whole time. Yeah, it was. What's, but what's the, it, the quote? Uh, Michelangelo. It was in you the whole time. Yeah, the Michelangelo is when he's 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 sculpting. Yeah. Uh, the sculpture was there the the whole time in the block. All yeah. I did was uncover it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it was kind of that way. I mean, there were a lot of great players that they they um, you know. Uh, so Scott Hinners, Aaron Pitts, Nathan Edmondson, uh, initially AJ Ortiz, uh, Karen Coleman. Brian Ratcliffe, who's young, and and Billy, Billy Bob Thompson, who's young. Well, yeah, he's from. Nobody knew who he was. Yeah. He's a kid from Swarthmore. He's too young for people to know him. Well, yeah, <laughs> it was you know like uh, we talk now about the auditions having the benefit of everybody going through the program. Yeah. And uh, you know back when Fletcher was being cast, and even uh, even mostly when Zhao Gao and and uh, Hey Rube were being cast. There are people who, you know, still are coming to us without a lot of improv experience, and yeah. you kind of had to see the diamond in the rough, see the sculpture that that yeah. could be there after mm -hmm. you work with them for a bit. And I know that you did that with Asteroid. Yeah, uh, took on some folks who they were really green, um, yeah. no less talented, but right. but green. People people that had had it in them. I saw something. Yeah, something, something something's there. Something about them. Mostly they were good looking. Yeah, mostly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we know. We forget that people <laughs> want to see attractive people on stage. Yeah, and there are and a number of things that can make people attractive, but they do want to see attractive people on <laughs> yeah. stage. It's a visual uh, medium. I will go on record as saying that the Fit House teams have some of the best looking people. Yes. In all of improv. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> it is the best looking theater that there may be yeah as far as yeah. improv goes so i'm just yeah. i'm just saying yeah um okay so you, you found these you found this crew and uh how has the what was the process because i know organic improv uh but what was your process for getting them to get organic improv well we played a lot of games uh tag games ball games uh to build ensemble because you really you know, whatever, whatever it is you're gonna end up doing, the trust has to be there first. So, um, we played with each other a lot, and through that process, you you kind of get to know each other, and um, and then I did some viewpoints stuff with them, which uh, I don't know if a lot of people know viewpoints. Um, a big improv guru, Dave Rosowski, uses it a lot in his teaching where what I did is I put them on the grid. The grid is just a viewpoints term that uh, I played some music and I had them dance uh, with each other, which is really weird. And I asked, I directed them to sort of notice what's happening across the space from you. And you can make a choice to mirror it, so do the same thing at the same time, to repeat it, or to uh, react to it in a in a in a you know opposite kind of way, and and uh, so they they kind of develop this silent communication with each other, where where their eye is always in the space and taking in all of this stuff that's happening around them, 
And so we were on the grid for a while, no, no sound, no words, um, just making shapes with each other in space. Mm-hmm. And then eventually I turned that into a, Gel- a Michael Gelman exercise, give and take focus, where everybody's walking around the space, one, and then one person walks and talks, another person walks and talks, maybe two people walk or three or four people walk. And you have to come out of that frozen position with something, and all you really have is your body. And then we started to do some group group work and really push the verbal and physical aspects of, of the group work. Okay. Uh, and how has the how have the shows and the process has the process shown itself in the performances? Yeah. Um, the shows have been incredible. I, I really am very proud of Zalgao's work. Um, and I cannot absolutely cannot take credit for all of it uh, but um, the way that this ensemble is, uh, is goes after each other is, is really awesome um, yeah we've struggled a lot with with it uh, in in rehearsals and stuff and and found things you know uh, something I say to them over and over again and this is something you would say to us in punchline so it's really helpful is make the physical verbal make the verbal physical so that you don't get locked in that in that uh, pattern of just physicality, repeated physicality, and not jump off and find something new. Which is helpful in any improv scene. Absolutely. Coming, coming off the back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because most people have a tendency to take that center stage spot and mm-hmm. stand there, plant Sweet their spot. feet, yeah. <laughs> well, and just start chatting. Right. Uh, so, so yeah, we, we say that. That's kind of a mantra. And then the other, the other thing is, um, which... Uh, Christian Capizzoli did one of his workshops with us and also something that you would talk about in Punchline so this great great mindset like is uh, jump off at the crest of the wave yeah so that you don't you know that you don't come in and now uh, you know in, in a low energy right. place um, and you Happens actually said that last night in conservatory yeah. and I was like yeah yeah, yeah I feel it yeah because um, the, the group will be doing something and you got nine people on stage going, oh. So I was saying. And in terms so. of that, yeah, in that, in terms of that snakes improv, we would do things where we would land initially in uh, a dance club because we're all moving, yeah. right? Or in front of an ocean or in a field because the the landscape was literally like. I don't know if you can hear that, but it was nothing. There's nothing there. All you're looking at is a horizon. And so uh, that's a result of not jumping off at the crest of the wave. And now we've started to shift it to, okay, so we found the group moment where we're all together and we really reached it together and we're panting like dogs, right? Well, now let's yes and that and let's all explore more dog behaviors before we turn the panting into, uh, you know, chop, 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 or whatever it turns into, you know, that great Hopefully organic chop, improv, chop, 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 chop. <laughs> that great organic improv that we all know and love. So, you know, like peeing on a fire hydrant is an option at that point. And uh, yeah. yes, we it's want to keep it simple and think alike. Another one of your mantras. Um, uh, we, you know, we want to just push the ball forward a little bit and see what happens. And we're all collectively responsible for, for the movement and the change uh, and what evolves out of that group work. And now we're kind of trying to get away from hand-focused things, yeah. uh, too, when okay. you use our whole body. All right. So Zhao Gao has been a 
great experience, and you're very glad that you said yes. Yes? Yes. 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 Uh, okay. So let's jump back a little bit sure. uh, to another organic thing you got going on, and that's the Amy and Kristen show. Yeah. Uh, how, did, how did that come about? Uh, Amy, who's a fantastic improviser, had two projects sort of taken away from her. And uh, a legal refill, which was an awesome troupe, um, that ended because of a contentious relationship. Yeah. Um, and also uh, Housewives, uh, Amy's participation in Housewives ended. Uh, and so, you know, here's this great improviser who doesn't really have a project going. Yeah. And so I said, let me take on another, you know, <laughs> let me ask to see if she wants to do some something. And I knew that I wanted to do um, organic work uh, right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that I wanted to do something that shifted and changed and quickly moved and melted in and out of scenes. Like I had seen Switchboard do and, and Four Track and, uh, and like we did in, in Pony Coat. Okay. Uh, and what was the, the process for Amy and Kristen starting out? Well, we, uh, we, we sort of got together a little bit and then we invited you to come on on board for a practice or two and to see if and we did a cage match yeah. which was a hell of a lot of fun I, which I, was the first yeah the first Amy and Kristen show the first performance of the Amy and Kristen show the Kristen and Amy show the and Kristen no and mention of Mike because no that was going to be the running gag mention where, of me yeah where we had you know hey I'm Amy I'm Kristen and beat and then nothing from you and then yeah. uh, we just wouldn't let you talk or acknowledge you the entire time yeah. you'd have to fight your way through that so that seemed cruel <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, we, we did We had. well you offered the to call it the Amy, Kristen and Mike show oh did we? yeah that was you, a mistake you both, you both did <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I said no keep it keep it as is yeah well which is which is which nice. is good because I'm not in it anymore right no uh, we had to we would have had to change our names yeah um, and Amy I jumped and... off of that ship thank god yeah. <laughs> before it landed on the cover of Philadelphia Weekly right <laughs> that sinking ship yeah yikes <laughs> Oh, can I come back? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, well, you, we, we've invited you to to watch us in rehearsal and give us some pointers many times. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that's been a great help to the development of the show. Uh, and we will do another show. I keep keep mentioning. Yeah, that. For, I would for love to. Side show coming up. Uh, we'll book Amy Kristen show, Kristen and Amy show. Well, yeah. With me in there. I'd love that. Yeah. Um, that would be great. Uh, so yeah, and, and uh, Amy and I just started taking off doing shows, and uh, you know, I can think of of the number of shows that we've done. Probably been maybe three bad shows, and that term even has some, uh, you know, gray area in it. Yeah. Not uh, so. What what makes what makes a bad improv show a bad improv show from an improviser perspective now i know from an audience perspective that can that that's pretty cut and cut and dry yeah uh but it's from, not funny <laughs> yeah, it's not I funny paid, it's not easy to watch i paid for this or in some cases didn't pay for this and i still hate what i'm seeing yeah uh, <laughs> yeah so what to you makes a bad improv show um, from the inside, it feels like a lot of work 
to do the show. Uh, from the inside, there be times when I feel like I'm looking at my partner and either seeing pure terror on their <laughs> face or I'm giving them pure terror on my face. Um, you remember every painful second of it. And uh, those are just general feelings. Um, when, when you take a distance to look back on the show, hopefully you can find something that will really help you to solve the problem because any number of you know, ugly habits can rear their head to derail a show. And they're almost too numerous to mention. And I'm sure at one point or another, I've been guilty of all of them to <laughs> many degrees or lesser degrees. But, we all have. Uh, so that's what it feels like. Um, yeah, it just feels like a lot of work, a lot of work to do a bad show. You're not having fun. No. No, not at all. Which goes back to the Susan Messing line, which I'm sure you know. Yeah, if you're not having fun, you're the asshole. Yeah. Yeah. Have fun. Yeah. Which is one of the things you'd look for when you're auditioning people. Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay, so you have uh, Amy and Kristen's show, which is going fantastic. Uh, gets on the cover of the Philadelphia Weekly, which is awesome. Uh, both your faces are all over the place. Uh, and you have the coaching of Zhao Gao, and you have Fletcher. Uh, and now at this point, Fletcher starts uh, what would end up being its final months. Uh, so could you go through some of that for me? We we had some decisions to make about who we were going to ask to be our coach once Scott stepped down. All right, yeah. And there were a couple of names bandied about, but since Emily was already working with Steve, uh, and Steve had actually come to see a lot of our shows, and so I knew Steve. Steve Kleinedler. Yeah, Kleinedler, yeah. Steve uh, Kleinedler, who, who moved to Philly from Boston. And I had known Steve from the festival circuit okay. uh, already, and even performed with him once or twice before. Uh, in workshops and then in a show. But uh, so we, we kind of ultimately landed on that. Steve uh, came in and, and really could never get a grip in on, on the group. And that's hard to do. It's a hard position to be in yeah. as a director um, coming into something that's already formed. Yeah, sure. Um, and then they were just so uh, later on told, like, well, this is, you know, you guys are done. <laughs> so it was... It was I think it was a merciful thing. Um, How were the the shows, in your opinion, leading up to that uh, decision over the last few months? You know, the shows definitely had up and downs, but I can't always point the finger to the cast in that. I I would point the finger at inconsistent coaching. Sure, yeah. Scott's love for the group was apparent, but his commitment level was low. Yeah. Um, And, you know... Not everybody can be Mike Morbach. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm just saying, I've missed now one asteroid show. Yeah. Uh, which was just the other night. Uh, one jam hosted by the team, and one practice. And the practice, I had food poisoning. Yeah. Um, and I've had to pick up the slack for all three of them. For those. all of them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're my go-to. Oh, well, that's nice. Yeah. That's nice. I love, I love, I love asteroid. They're they're fun to work with anytime I get a chance. Yeah. Um, but that's also easier for me to do because I'm not involved in anything else. I got nothing else going on. <laughs> right. Kristen, let me back in, Amy and Kristen show, please. <laughs> yeah. uh, turning into Regis Philbin here. Uh, okay, so 
how did the decision to end Fletcher's run? How, how long did Fletcher run? Uh, so almost three years. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a really good run. I feel like we were putting on consistent shows and um, really, you know, you talk about the quality of the shows before we had started to explore a mono scene, which yeah. was really big, thankfully, for a short life in Philly. Yeah. Everybody yeah. was like, mono scene is a buzzword. Yeah. And that our, happens in this in this community. People <laughs> Mark, latch on to something. Mark Sutton says mono scene's redundant. <laughs> and, and I agree. Says, yeah. If you're doing a scene, just call it a scene. Yeah. <laughs> One when scene. You want, yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, and we had a lot of, we, we did our very first mono scene in front of an audience was amazing. Uh, we did it at the parlor because yeah. we were doing a brief thing called Fletcher and Friends where we would do our, our mono scene, mm-hmm. which we kind of got the idea that Greg really didn't want that happening with the house teams mm-hmm. at the theater. Uh, so we had to do it elsewhere, and that's yeah. why. And also, Dan at that point couldn't perform with us on Saturday nights. We wanted to give him performance opportunities. Yeah. So Thursday night, we used one Thursday night a month yeah. to invite some folks. Which was great. Um, and... Uh, and we did a mono scene at F. Harold, and then then we did it in our Shubin run. And the ones that we ever did at the Shubin uh, didn't really go well. Uh, they weren't terrible, but they they didn't go great. They weren't as much fun as I don't know. For some reason, felt like we could cut loose more in, in yeah. different spaces. Uh, and we did what was a bizarre mono scene at Delt Close, but it got this amazing write up, and we all were kind of feeling weird about the show. And this is against every bone in my body especially having a sober judgment on my own work and I was kind of feeling this show was weird I didn't really like it and then the reviewer was like I loved it and I'm like I loved it too <laughs> and I, I do think about the show and I, I I got out of my head in that show I started to get into that place where it felt like work and I said uh, excuse me uh, fuck it I'm going to play a crocodile because yeah. our suggestion was Neverland and I played a crocodile and and uh and Emily was, was going to town playing Tinkerbell that wanted to hang herself, and that was hilarious. So we got a great write-up, and that was just before we ended uh, ended the run. And, and Fletcher's gotten a lot of press throughout its existence. That's been yeah. really positive. Yeah. Uh, so how did the reaction, was, was it a complete surprise? It wasn't a complete surprise, um, but folks were sad. Yeah, and, of course. And some folks, you know, they... They didn't feel too good about it. I, I felt like it was time, mm-hmm. um, even though I, I wouldn't point it all on the group. It was like, we had a good run. Let's let's get off on a high point. And our last show was a lot of fun. I think the audience gave us a lot more credit for it than we deserved because um, there were elements of the show where I'm like, okay, I guess that's <laughs> funny. And the, the audience is, you know, laughing up the storm. Yeah. I, I did like the last moment. Uh, of that show where uh, we played cats chasing a laser and yeah, up yeah. the wall yeah. and the lights are out and we're all well, it was like kind of poetic because the, the team's really supporting each other like literally someone's hands are on my ass mm. pushing me up the wall and, yeah. and we were all together yeah. so that was that was pretty cool okay uh, what so I mean if, we, if that brings us up to pretty much the present time uh, over your experience in the Philly improv comedy scene, uh, Philly comedy scene in general, um, what do you what do you see as uh, moments that that help to kind of move things forward, or things that kind of held you know kind of held the scene back, uh, right. or you know just anything? 
Well, um, moments that moved the scene forward were the uh, creation of a long-form school yeah. where people could learn how to improvise in, in a, a more scenic way mm. rather than a, a short-form game way. Um, though I think that the short-form teams that are in Philly, namely Comedy Sports and the N-Crowd, who are two of the oldest comedy institutions, um, we can't give them enough credit because uh, Comedy Sports folks were, were doing it for you know, 16 years. And, and there were some long-form troops that were born out of that. Yeah. Uh, Lunch Lady Doris and and, uh, and 13 Skirts was an all-female comedy troupe. Uh, it, so that was amazing. Um, but the, the creation of a, a place where people could go to study long-form in particular here in Philly, uh, there's no telling <laughs> where that's going to go, but that, that was instrumental. I also have to give a nod to a festival being created where... Uh, you know, a kind of the underdeveloped scene that Philly was at the time was bringing in folks from all around the country where we could take a look and go, I want that, you know? Yeah. Um, so, and I know that that was instrumental in me, you know, deciding, you know, this is, this is great. Uh, and, and they brought in teachers and workshops and everything that gave people a taste of really high-level work. I think the way that everything has come about has has given Philly a particular gift because there's been no one dogmatic principle that's been pounded down the throats of every improviser in Philly, and that is due possibly to the fact that the festival and the theater have been separate and so many different varieties and styles have come to play. So, mm-hmm. so I mean, it le- does lead to more people doing things, creating more opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. And... Um, and folks who came out of the school and started creating uh, different venues and improv shows at different venues, they've been responsible, too, for, for moving the scene forward, giving people like, hey, we could do that. You know, and I think also some of the changes that you've made um, in the curriculum where people are starting to think more about themselves as a team. I might say something controversial here. Ooh, you hear this, folks? Uh... Philly kind of has a, a self-esteem issue where anytime someone comes in from out of town, automatically they're entered into the scene on a golden chariot. Uh, you know, like uh, you come in from Chicago because you're from I'm Chicago, from Chicago right? yeah. and Steve coming from Boston. And even before that, it's like someone just by virtue of being out of from out of town Hmm. now all of a sudden what what they say is 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 the standard and and it's it's great because they we've had great people come from out of town and we've been really uh, lucky to have them and that they want to be part of our scene um however i think that people who are just ready to start teaching or maybe just ready to start directing yeah Miss kinda, that, kinda miss that missing. boat a little bit because Absolutely. someone comes in and yeah. is like, "Well, I, I have all this experience and I'm yeah. from such and such," yeah. which uh, is exactly the tone that I took when I arrived. Uh, that I have all this experience, yeah. and I <laughs> yes. will your book register <laughs> lowered yeah. a bit and yeah. <laughs> tried uh, it. I, I like to think that uh, I've been a help. Uh, oh, absolutely. And I. this is not to say anything against the people who have come from out of town. Um, they are coming with a wealth of uh, experience. They are coming with, um, you know, some great perspectives that Philly needs to grow. 
Uh, it just so happens, though, that, that some of our homegrown folks yeah. who are just about ready kind of uh, aren't pushed enough out of the nest Right. Uh, because no, of I, I would absolutely agree with that. And I think that the point has come for that to not really happen yeah. much anymore. Uh, because in the, the training center, the different instructors that have come out have graduated the training center. You got Mike Hockman, uh, Luke Field, whose Ralph. class starts tonight. Ralph yeah, awesome. has been through. Uh, so all of these people are now going through the program. Where yeah. I think part of the process before the thinking was that people have been through training centers elsewhere. Partly why also I was talking to uh, people, someone the other day about why is it not necessary for people that get make a house team to have graduated the program. Uh, and again, that's something that I don't know that Greg would ever want to do that. Right. Uh, to make it a, a requirement from a talent perspective. There are people that are very good that have not gone through uh, comedy sports or fit or you yeah. know, any of the other places. No, it's true, and it, uh, it's it's part of uh, it's part of the business. The part business. of the business. I mean, we're we're getting to the point where if we wanted to, we probably could do that because right. if you look at the two new teams that have been created, Strider and uh, West March, they're mostly names, from from the training center. Most which of is them awesome. are either going through the program now or have graduated. And I would say shame on the training center if they didn't put people out who who had the skills to make a house team. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, there's on. that case. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, if if that they should they should be able to make a house team. Right. They, they've had the training, right? Um, and I think it would reflect poorly on the training center if absolutely if, if that wasn't the case, or I lost where I am grammatically. If that was the case, <laughs> if, whatever. Anyway, you get it. I do. Uh, uh, but yes, that that being said, there are people who just show up, and uh, I mean, I that's why I, I was kind of talking about Brian, the young guy. Like, where's he from? Okay. And the same thing happened to me in the auditions this last round where I was recasting some folks in Zao Gal. I saw a guy, I saw this kid from Swarthmore, and I said, like, I want that kid. And he hadn't been in any of the classes. Yeah. So. Okay. Okay, so yeah, I, I would agree that the out-of-town uh, glow that, that people have yeah. when they arrive is, is certainly there. I've experienced it myself. Um, and that because of the fact that the training center has done such a good job uh, in building up people and the theater has done such a good job of giving people opportunities over the last couple of years with different fringe projects. Yeah, uh, to direct. To direct, uh, that a lot of people are showing how good they can actually be. And it's also from the instructors, uh, seeing people like Ralph or uh, Mike Hockman or any of these, uh, any, anybody, just Snow, yeah. um, direct. Uh, or how they deal with classes, and then maybe giving them the opportunities to direct as well. I'm sure all of them could yeah, uh, direct the team at some point. Or I, I know Luke has done some coaching. Uh-huh. Uh, Jess Ross coaches Nielsen now that Andy is up in New York. Mike does uh, his death by improv stuff. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of uh, folks, Ralph is being asked to coach. And yeah. yeah, so it's great. And yeah, people, people would benefit from some of the observations that those folks make because they're experienced players at this point. And uh, they're, you know, add to that that they're good improvisers. Yeah. Uh, so they have they have a, a one or two great things to say, uh, more than that. How has the idea for coaching in Philadelphia evolved? Because uh, I remember talking, before I moved back to Philly, 
uh, from Chicago. I don't know if I mentioned if I was in there for a little while. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, how has coaching evolved? Because I remember talking to Matt Holmes about, I was like, what, what do people usually get for coaching in Philly? And he's like, oh, you know, pizza or something. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> Probably a slice of pizza. <laughs> Uh, coaching, uh, yeah, coaching, I think, had its influence from a lot of different places in Philly, and uh, some some people who've come in for festivals, ha- and and uh, uh, I, I, so I remember, um, you know, a couple of folks coming in from out of town, Asaf being one of them, and he had a book called Directing Improv, yeah. and in that book, kind of says, hey, are you uh, performing in an improv troupe and coaching at the same time? My head hangs low. I was like, yes, <laughs> you know, he's like, that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> so I know for me personally, that's where that door kind of opened. Yeah, we can get people in to watch and be you know, objective viewers, even if you you even if you don't think, uh, you know, wow, this person's the be all end all. They have the greatest uh, improv skill set or knowledge. At a certain point, there reaches a peak where someone's observations are going to be helpful to you, no matter how much. Uh, more experience they have than you. Yeah. Um, someone's just an outside eye. Now, I'm not saying go get anyone to coach your team because right. there's a lot of really qualified, uh, you know, and more qualified people out there to do that. But um, I, I'm, I know that it's come from a lot of different places. I couldn't pinpoint where, though. Um, people starting to get the idea, oh, yeah, we need, we need someone in to help us run rehearsals. Yeah. Uh, I mean, personally, I... Just since... I've arrived, I've seen people, seen the, the idea grow. And I'm not yeah. saying it was, it was me. I'm just saying that in my, in my, while I was here, I've been able to observe. Yeah. Uh, the well, idea has, has grown, which is awesome because I know you, and we'll talk about this in a second, uh, like myself, would very much like to make money somehow yeah. doing what we do. Exactly. Uh, and one of those ways is through coaching. Yeah. Um, and I think that the house teams, I mean, another source is the house teams having directors and yeah. people looking at that and, and seeing, you know, the quality of shows that, you know, can just be put out, uh, with, with someone kind of guiding the, the performances a bit. Mm-hmm. So I, no doubt that's had an influence. Um, yeah, I, I'd love to get more coaching opportunities. Um, I also, you know, at this point I want to... I also want to be just a performer too, um, and I need to get out of my directing head, which has been a bad habit in my improv. Mm-hmm. Um, how how so? Oh gosh, I'm I'm an asshole to play with sometimes because <laughs> I I see an unhelpful move that if if it was a class situation, I'd kind of give somebody a, a thing to push against or a, a positive note, but I end up doing it inside the scene in a not-so-masked way, yeah. <laughs> in a way that's very clearly uh, me speaking to the other improviser. I've seen it a couple of times. Oh, well, you will see more of it, unfortunately. Uh, can we tell that one quick story? Oh, sure, yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> during, during Punchline, yes. uh, directed, which I directed for the 2010 uh, Fringe Festival, and punchline, like we talked about earlier, was a very organic sort of sort of deal, and it, it can become very habit forming to just get into group games, group game mode, uh, yeah. where people don't really leave two person scenes. You're so connected. Um, yeah, and and I really wanted to force the idea, uh, push the idea of two person scenes. So uh, I, I kind of 
gave the performers of the of the cast, which was help me with this. Uh, oh gosh, Nathan, Nathan Edmondson, Jason. Kristen Shear, Jason Grimley, Amy Rowe, uh, Dan Rich, Greg uh, Mon. Jessica Snow, Greg Mon, and Sarah Cowdery, who yeah. is now in Chicago. Yeah, uh, she'll come back, and we'll give her a directing. Job. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see Sarah Jack. <laughs> no. She's but gonna anyway. have that new shiny, yeah. new arrival glow about her. No, that's uh, uh, so yeah. So have you, you said gotten tall with Sarah? Would you like to direct? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, okay, so the, the the cast was amazing, but they were getting into the habit of just not leaving the stage, uh, and allowing two person scenes to happen. So I said to them, "Look, I really tonight, I really want to see." more two-person scenes so if you need to just make it happen some way and just you know if, if people won't leave just tell them the you know in a you know in a somewhat subtle way or somehow <laughs> subtle say, just tell them the this is a two-person scene time uh and, and i meant that more and i even showed them like you know just look at it make eye contact and put up like the the two two symbol like that's it two-person scene next well it was Kristen <laughs> in a scene. There's a big group game sort of thing. And then it was Kristen. Jesse Snow. Jesse Snow. And that was two people. Plus one. Uh, Greg was in there. Uh, and we had just had all these all these big group things. And I really wanted the two-person scene. And Kristen knew, knew what I was looking for. Uh, <laughs> so she... What did, what did you do when you saw that he was still in the scene? I, was, I looked at Greg and I said, Psst. Get out of here. <laughs> and then, after he wouldn't leave, I said... Well, you said I, twice. Yeah, you, you I went, did. Psst, get out of here. Psst, and he's like, Get out what? of here. <laughs> and then... Get out of here. After he wouldn't leave, I was like, all right, then I'm leaving then. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, maybe that wasn't the best <laughs> no, it was great. choice. Uh, and it was great because it's on my quote board yeah. uh, in my studio. And by studio, I mean bedroom. Yeah. Um... Mouse tooth vertical blinds oh, studio. Terrible. Why would anybody get vertical blinds? It doesn't make any sense. No sense. Ugh. Anyway, yeah. so the directing and performing aspect uh, has you feel kind of hurt. It's made at times. me. It's made me not have the the best uh, habits uh, as a, as an improviser. Um, and I I very much at this point long to be under some direction. Um, you know, with Scott kind of having a. Uh, his way of, of handling Fletcher, which admittedly produced good results for a long period of time, but he was not hands-on. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, and directing the end crowd and now directing Zhao Gao and being asked to coach various groups. Uh, uh, I play the director too much, and that means it, it's not always fun to play with me as a yeah. performer because uh, I'm, I'm constantly thinking outside the show and saying, well, what, what what would yeah. I give as a note yeah. now? Okay. So that's a bunch of bullshit. Uh, uh, so coaching and teaching. Um, where, where, what do you want to? What do you want to do? In in improv or, or arts, where do you see things going for you? I would like to uh, continue to share what I enjoy so much with people who want to learn it. Um, and so teaching is a you know, a great way for me to do that. I really enjoy teaching the classes I've been given the opportunity to teach. Um, and I steal stuff from my students all the time. <laughs> so what, what do you, what do you, Oh, character. You, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Just rip the characters. Yeah. Right yeah. Off. No. And they challenge you, you know, they, they, they come to the table and they're like, 
help me with this. Why? Yeah. Why isn't it working? And you know, sometimes you just look back at it and we go, Oh no, we'll figure yeah. it out. Yeah. You know. But um, so so that's helped me grow as a teacher. Obviously, being given the opportunity to teach, and uh, I'd like to teach on the festival circuit, which I've started to do, and to coach. So I love doing all those things. Um, unfortunately, the the pyramid scheme that is improv uh, <laughs> and the way that it's set up everywhere, yeah. you don't make money as a performer. And uh, it's one of my soapboxes that, you know, people put a lot of money into learning this and they should get a lot of money to exercise what they know. Yeah. Uh, they, should, they should get money to perform, yeah. strictly to perform. And uh, that, that doesn't happen uh, a whole lot. It happens with Sideshow. Yes, it does. Which is awesome. Uh, it's it's such a step in the right direction. Uh, unfortunately, uh, it's not happening on a national scale. You yeah. know, even at even at the big the big places that you know gave us so much. Uh, uh, it's sad that people aren't getting paid. They're getting yeah. paid to teach, uh, but that's different. Yeah, that's great, but that's different. Yeah. I appreciate what Fitz been able to do, which is not happening in a lot of other cities, where uh, performers don't have to pay yeah. for their rehearsal space um, or their coach or their coach. Which, you know, I, I do as wish a, as a coach. <laughs> I do wish as a coach. Well, there have been a while where I would have been borrowing from Peter to pay Paul, right? Yeah. So I would have yeah. gotten paid money as a coach, but then had to give that money right right back to whoever was coaching Fletcher. Yeah. Um, but you know, so. In a way, I think that is a gift. Is and uh, you know, there's performer passes, and so people get in cheaper. So it's not like anybody's gouging anyone, but right. you know, you just like to see it see it change. So right. I appreciate that direction with Fit, but it, I, it costs me forty to fifty dollars a month to be on a team in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, I bet. And the same thing at the Magnet, same thing at UCB, I'm sure. And you know, though I do think people should pay their coaches. Uh, yeah, it costs it. You know, people aren't just you know, people are people are losing money to do this, yeah. and it shows that they love it, which yeah. is great. But come on. Speaking of of the the sideshow, you've performed twice, doing uh, some clowning. Yeah. Well, how, what, what what was the deal with the clowning? I have always. That's my my interviewer skills right there. Just the phrasing of that That's question. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. What's the what, deal with that clowning? <laughs> what's the deal with the clowning? Uh, what's the deal with the clowning? In some of my theatrical training, uh, I've taken workshops with some really amazing uh, teachers, and and some of these workshops have been in clown, and I my heart was just open to it right away. It was so challenging, so scary, um, and so fun when the risk that you took paid off of just going out there, and you know it's a lot like improv, which is why I'm so into improv, not knowing you know, what's going to happen and just learning about it as you do it. Um, so yeah, I, I wanted to continue to develop this. Uh, it's like a one, one person show. Cause I'm, uh, you know, at this point I'm any stage time I get, I want it to be about me. Uh, <laughs> you know, you go from a, <laughs> you go, team you go from shmeen. like a tent, team shmeen, uh, duo, uh, f- fuck the duo. Let's, <laughs> let's do a solo show. No, I, uh, Au contraire, I do want to be on the team again, <laughs> but uh, the, I also uh, I I I want I want to develop this clowning show, which I'm glad Sideshow was there to give me an opportunity to do. I, I put on a nose. I have a character that that in a weird uh, mumbo jumbo kind of way, the nose dictates 
the state that you're in just mm -hmm. when you're seen and uh, just go from there uh, and yeah I I've, en I've enjoyed it both times yeah it's, it's gone over time. really really well yeah uh, very so yeah I was very happy to have it and have it back yeah. we'll have to do that yeah um, quickly to jump back to coaching slash teaching what are what's one of the more troubling things that you've had to deal with as a coach or a teacher uh, or not necessarily troubling at like you know oh my god he's having a heart attack um, like a real heart attack um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, some issue that came up that maybe you weren't quite sure how to deal with uh, and then on the flip side something that an issue that you see consistently that you know an easy fix for or something some, some easy aid to fix uh, easy aid, eh, whatever yeah um, okay so the hardest things have been to deal with have been um, performers who are really talented but who have something change and can't be part of the group anymore and I've been I've had to toe the line for the good of the rest of the group to kind of say you know all right but we can't change everything for you. Yeah. We can't now pick up and change our rehearsal night or, you know, or something. Right. Um, so that literally has been the hardest thing. Yeah. And consistently as a coach or someone who teaches in workshops, you know, that's a problem that you can't even put your finger on because the person's not there. Yeah. So I've taught classes where uh, students, for one reason or another, uh, kind of can't participate in the class anymore or miss... It's so hard. It's such a yeah. morale dinger. Yeah. Uh, and there's nothing you can do about it. You mm. look at the other students, we're like, all right, three people up. Yeah. Because that's all we got in the class. Yeah. I just it, had a, a 301 class where it's intro to the Herald. It's not like a 101 or 201 or even 401. Right, where, where you, you it's can, exercise based. Yeah. This is form based where you every every week builds on the other to come to an ultimate exactly. building. Uh, and there were weeks where there was four people, five people. Uh, and so that's it's, it's very, I mean, their show was actually really good, really, real, real fun. Uh, I was very, uh, happy with, uh, what they've done, uh, with the core group of people that were there each week. Uh, real fun improvisers, a couple of which made, uh, house teams this time around. Cool. Uh, which is great. Um, but yeah, it's very tough. So when people aren't there, I mean, that's, that's something that, you know, I don't really have a fix for and that, that comes from the other end. Um, and, uh, you know, another consistent issue with um, with teams is you might have a lot of really talented, funny individuals, um, and because they're all funny, but they they're just not melding. So uh, I had this with my two hundred one. I had a lot of really great people that made me laugh many times, and they did two person scenes or whatever. Then they get up there as a group, and everything goes yeah. to pot because yeah, to pot. the yeah the agreement is not there. Yeah. They're really funny individually, but there's no agreement. So the biggest thing is that, all right, let's just overcorrect. Um, you know, I wouldn't tell anybody that they can't say no in a scene or that they can't uh, have an opinion about what they're being asked to do as a character. But in a situation like this, it's like, no, you guys, here's the note. You guys love everything. You love being with this other person. Yeah. What I don't care if they ask you to eat shit, you are on board, yeah. um, and and that helps with with unity. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. And then sometimes you have little things that improvisers come to you with, and I've had more than one person come to me with, why am I always in a kitchen <laughs> when I'm improvising? I said, tell you exactly why you're in a kitchen. You're in a kitchen because you walk down on stage without changing the shape of your body. You didn't adjust anything about your physicality. You lifted up your arms and there. That's the size of a plate and there you are washing dishes in a kitchen. Yeah. Uh, change the shape of your body. Change your level. Get down on your knees or um, come into the scene sideways. Yeah. Um, even change, lift one hand up and put your fingers together and like you're trying a key. And now, you know, even if it's a key to a kitchen, yeah. <laughs> you know, let's see uh, what's you're doing in the, something different. You let's know? see what's in the bottom cabinets for once. Yeah, what's in the bottom <laughs> cabinets and let's, uh, do you, would you just eat off plates? No forks yeah. in that sink? There's no yeah. garlic press in there? Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, so that's a, I've actually had that come up more than once surprisingly in class. And I said, all right, change the shape of your body as you enter a scene and you probably won't end up in a kitchen again. No, it's not 100% guarantee. But uh, if you do end up in a kitchen, it's going to be an interesting one because you're a troll or you are in a sideways kitchen. I don't know. Um, so that's a that's a little thing, but uh, she can do great scenes in kitchens. <laughs> uh, we are in the middle or toward the end of the duo fest application period. Oh yeah. Um, so how did how did duo fest come about? Uh, Amy and I were sitting at a cafe and you know just thinking and talking about stuff. Um, she was coaching King Friday at the time and uh, Ralph and Jason had started to do a duo Grimaccio yeah Grimaccio which is awesome hilarious Um, and you know we we just started chatting about all the duos that we knew of um, both in Philadelphia which there weren't so many at the time but also in and around festivals and in New York that we Mm -hmm. loved yeah and we thought that we had enough new enough duos to do a, a, a week and we were going to tell Greg, we got excited about the idea, was just, let's tell Greg uh, to do a duo night at, at the Schumann, um, you know, on a Friday or something. And then we just started listening to everybody and we thought, you know, we could probably do like a festival. Yeah. And uh, we, we took it to Greg and we wanted to jump on the idea right away and I'm so proud of Duo Fest. It generated duos because sure people did. people applied who had never uh, done their duo show before. Yeah. And it was going to be a test run. Yeah. So uh, good or bad, you know, it generated a lot of duos. There's a lot of duos. Um, but there is something to be said for when it's just you and another person. Duos are great. I was uh, I was a member of a duo. Yeah. Where I come from in, in Chicago. Chicago. <laughs> yeah. uh, Tin Sandwich, which uh, did the first Duo Fest. Yeah. Uh, which yeah. was great, real fun show. Uh, so, yeah, I know very well. And I credit Tin Sandwich for, and the Annoyance Theater, uh, for making me the performer that I was. <laughs> Not that I'm now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not that I am now. Oh, uh, Mike. We'll I get don't back. perform. We'll get you back there. Anymore. Um, I've retired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, we've had some. We've had some amazing, uh, amazing people come out to teach for that, and uh, some ho- homegrown duos that are just well. Actually, I don't know if we call uh, Dangerous Fools homegrown because they're, you know, Mary's from Philly and has stayed in Philly. Some of the other performers, Isn't, uh, Thomas. 
Thomas Philly? was, I guess, yeah, he was in Philly for a little while, but he's out in L.A. now. Yeah. So he's from he's L.A. He's grown from <laughs> Philly. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so he's he's uh, now from L.A. And they are amazing. They are great. Um, and that's... Uh, uh, that's the door. Yay. Uh, uh, and then we've had, we had Susan and Christina play. Amazing. Yeah. The, first, the first duo fest, we had uh, uh, Jake Schneider yeah. from... From and Jonathan Io. Pitts. Yeah, and uh, um, some other fantastic duos who we've we've gotten submissions uh, from from all over, and I I love the festival, and you know, I'm I'm glad to be a part of it. My role is mostly just uh, making sure people have a good time when they're here. <laughs> a lot of the other producers uh, do all the legwork of you know reading. I mean, I I look at submissions and 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 watch video and stuff, and but they. They do a lot of the, the prep work. So the, the dates for this Duo Fest, uh, when is Duo Fest this year? Uh, June 7th through 10th. June 7th through the 10th. Okay, uh, so we can look forward to an influx of duos into the Philly improv community leading up to that point. <laughs> right. <sure. laughs> uh, okay, so Duo Fest, June 7th to 10th. Yeah. Uh, hopefully Mark and I will be able to submit, but he's got a kid now and yeah. um, he has things to do. Uh, with babies and whatnot. And you gone done made Beardo a trio. I didn't gone done it. Yeah. Uh, they gone done it. I done gone taken it. Oh, yeah. Um, and, yeah, they will, I guess, not be able to submit. Not according to the rules of Duo Fest. <laughs> right, yeah. It's a Duo Fest. Yeah. What I would like to see in Duo Fest is to get beyond uh, improv. And have oh, some, yeah, sketch some sketch duos, and stuff. Because I've seen some amazing sketch duos and also yeah. comedy, like stand-up duos. I agree. I agree. Um, and there, there, there might come a time when, when that is going to happen. We are always mindful of other festivals going on in the city and not to tread on toes, uh, which kind of inadvertently happened the first year because sure. our festival was really close. Yeah. But now the, the festival works in conjunction with sketch and yeah. stuff, so we don't want to fill the same uh, role that right. that awesome festival does. But I think it's still enough of a niche uh, market to, to do some duo sketch. And that, that was proposed to us, and we were open to it. Um, well, we are wrapping up. Now, how do you, where do you think uh, the Philly improv scene is right now? This is how like most of the improv podcasts last. What do you think of the scene right now, and where do you see it going? Um, wow, what do I think of the scene right now? The scene right now, I think, uh, is doing what a lot of uh, uh, scenes with a longer history started to do, maybe a little bit earlier, because we're, we already have been given the gift of those scenes, um, where there, there's a taste for longer, long form. And what I mean by that is uh, characters uh, that come back each time. So like a genre-based thing where... You mean like uh, the Real Housewives? Yeah, Real Housewives might have been uh, one of the first instances. Allie oh, also I, I'm, does, not, I'm not trying to yeah. stick it to you here. Uh, no, I'm like uh, BWP also it. did it. But all sure. of the emergence of uh, production that was great, uh, like Stage Fright. Right. Shows you that the scene, what it wants is a more narrative uh, form, uh, like a longer long form where things stay consistent. So it was for a period we were in mono scenes. 
Yeah. Right? So a longer scene. and Everybody then Everybody wanted to do a mono scene. Yeah. Please. So, so now... Enough with the mono scenes. And I was in one. Right, right, right. Yeah. Ugh. So now what they want is not just to have one scene for one show, but they want to do the same kind of thing for the number of shows that that, you know. Yeah. And uh, that's cool. I, I don't... I don't want people to forget about um, fun. Not that yeah. those things aren't fun. Just making stuff up. Uh, yeah, like not not having to worry about fitting into a box of a particular genre, which is mm-hmm. always the pitfall, but doesn't have to be. Right. I've seen plenty of genre shows that, like uh, Improvised Shakespeare in Chicago, forget it. Amazing. Those boys have fun. In My e- favorite show of all time. Yeah, and even though they're working inside of a genre time after time that they play together, uh, they've given themselves permission to allow just about anything to happen in that context. Yeah. And so that, that can happen, and I That's hope it does. For one the, of my dream shows to have in Philly, um, to have them to have those guys come down from New York oh, yeah. over from Chicago. Yeah. Now, where do you see the, the scene going? Eee, where do I see the scene going? I don't know. I, I would like to see it go to where, you know, we're more self-reliant. We're more trusting of our own knowledge and unafraid to build and to trust our own instincts um, in the creation of work. It's one of the things I think we could emulate <laughs> from Baltimore, yeah. actually. Baltimore is a scrappy little city that has tried mixing a bunch of stuff like burlesque and body painting <laughs> and um, dance and, you know, so they they seem to be to be able to have their that well let's try it and let's not be afraid and let's not have to confirm with other sources before we put our foot in this pool yeah. um, and that's where I would like to see Philly go. Okay. What about the influx of indie shows? Because again, just in my in my short time back in Philly, uh, I've seen a lot of indie shows pop up and indie teams. Uh, how do you think that that's influenced the direction of the scene, uh, if at all? I think it's great because people who should be performing um, are, and there's only so many spots on the house team. Um, so those folks are, uh, should be performing. Sometimes I feel like teams want to get out there right away without really any idea of what their show is. So, uh, you know, Sometimes I'd give the advice to hold your horses a little bit. Yeah. You can't always control that when you're brought in as a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think it's great. I think it's great. And I'm glad that the teams like that have opportunity. And I think it actually helps. Uh, not that being on a house team is everybody's goal. But uh, when, when those folks go and they audition for a house team, they have a lot of performance experience under their belt. And if uh, you know if they get cast or if they want on that team, then uh, they, they're pretty likely to, to do it. because. Yeah. I think um, Iron Lung's done an awesome job of mm-hmm. being a, a pretty good example a of, consistent of what they of what an indie team can do. They got their own performance night with uh, the Taboo Show, mm-hmm. uh, Sketch Playground. Uh, they have they've had coaches. They've had three or four coaches over the last year. They've been together a year. Uh, they've been able to put together a year, almost a year and two or three months now. Uh, and then the other indie teams uh, can look to them as an example, which also goes and kind of melds with the coaching that we're talking about. Because oh, Iron Lung has coaches, right? Maybe we should get a coach too, which helps yep. the absolutely the homegrown people that are coming out of the program or instructing to make some money, yeah, getting paid to do what they love to do. 
Yeah, Ponzi is, scheme. Yeah, it's a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm very glad that we've we've kind of gone above a slice of pizza. Uh, yeah. Why, why no, so am I. So I can go buy myself a, a slice, slice of pizza. pizza. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, can you believe we've been talking for about two hours now? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, that I guess that will wrap it up. Uh, Chris, Kristen directs Zhao Gao, yeah. which has shows at the Philly Improv Theater coming up at the end of the month. Go to phillyimprovtheater.com for those show dates. Uh, you can see, see you're in the Amy and Kristen show. Do you know the next time you're performing? Nope. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> and is there anything else happening? Minaj, you just had a show. Yeah, Minaj, who I love playing with. Uh, we got to get a coach for that. Yeah. I'll stop talking. And then the end crowd every Friday night. And the end crowd every Friday night. Uh, okay. Well, thank you very much for listening to this as yet unnamed podcast. Thank you for being my guest, Kristen Shear. Oh, you're quite and welcome. And my friend. Oh, uh, yay. That's so sweet. Uh, so that was it. See? Piece of cake. Easy peasy. Uh, that was the first episode of Getting Close with Mike Marbeck. I really hope that you enjoyed it, that you learned something about Kristen uh, about improv in general, or possibly even about yourself. Uh, I don't know how that would happen, but if it if it did, and it was a a good uh, revelation about yourself, and it leads to you living a better life, then hey, I done a good job, I guess. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next podcast. Uh, the next person or people that I interview for the moment shall remain nameless, only because I don't know who. It's going to be. Follow me on Twitter, at Mike Marbach. Uh, baseball season is coming up, so if you're a baseball fan, you will get more than your fair share of tweets uh, in your feed that are baseball-related. Yeah, so that's it. Checking out. No, I can't. No, that can't be my, my end. Checking out. What is that? See, if it was Mike, check. If it was Mike, check. Checking out. This is Mike. Checking out. All right, maybe the next time this podcast airs, it will be called Mike Check, just so I can say, this is Mike, checking out. (laughs) 